Get a bit on with me to Mark's Gospel. We're going to just, uh, over uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, just take a short break from um, our studies in Ephesians and, and look at um, the Easter account. Um, we're going to be in Mark 14 both this morning and this evening. Um, this morning we're going to be reading from verse 12 to 26 and this evening we're going to be in verses 1 to 11. A little bit backwards to frontwards, but however. Mark 14, verse 12. Mind ourselves that this is God's word. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left went out into the city and, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It's one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It, it would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So reads God's precious word. The passage that, that we read earlier. And as we move into what really is here the, the last week in, in the life of the Lord Jesus, we're actually at Thursday in regards to the verses that we read earlier. And Jesus is only a, a day away from his, his crucifixion. And so he spends time with those closest to him. And they celebrate that most sacred of festivals, the Passover. And it is at such a time as that and such an event that Jesus gives this Passover meal new meaning. And it is recorded here not just because it is Jesus' last meal with his disciples, 
but rather because Jesus does something memorable at it. And what I want us to do this morning is just to consider three things in relation to the verses that, that we read earlier. The first thing is we read about preparation. As many of you will be aware, the Passover and, and, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread what was one of the, if not the, most important festivals for the Jew. It commemorated that, that time when, when the angel of the Lord passed over the homes of the Hebrews uh, that, had, that had sprinkled the, the blood of a lamb on a doorpost in Egypt, thus not killing each firstborn. It was a feast. It was a memorial of a past victory. And there were certain things that had to be done in preparation for this feast. So, so the disciples come to Jesus and, and, and ask, well, where do you want us to go and, and, and make preparations for you? We need to remember that, that at this time, Jerusalem would be absolutely jumping with people. Uh, anything up to between 500,000 people would be about. And they come and say, well, how are, we going to, how are we going to do this? How are we going to celebrate Passover? And what these events here show us, friends, is that Jesus, in his last week of his life, in the day before his crucifixion, is in complete control. He knows everything in advance. He is in control of the whole situation. I, as I've said before, the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ was not some hastily put together plan. So Jesus gives them direction. Go into the city. Meet a man carrying a jar of water. That actually in itself wouldn't have been too hard to find because the custom of the day was that it was the women who would carry the, the water. So to see a guy carrying the water would, would be pretty unique. And when you see him, tell him that the teacher asks, where is the guest house where I can go and celebrate with my disciples at Passover? So the disciples do as they're told. It's always a good thing to do, as Jesus tells us. And in verse 16, we are told that they found things just as Jesus had told them. You see, Jesus is always true to his word. You can stand firmly on the promises of Jesus. What he has said, he will accomplish. And we're told that they prepare the Passover. And I just want to make the point here that preparation is so important. And just because God provides, it does not excuse us from preparing. And I think that applies to every single area of our life. Many of you know that before I went into ministry, I, I worked in a sales environment, um, and it was a time when 
just to waste some money. They would send you on sales courses and conferences and all the rest of it. And clever people would come up with the ideal call, steps of a call. And the first step of the ideal call was preparation. You need to prepare. And we need to do that in every single avenue of life. Preparation for our gathering together. You see, Sunday morning just doesn't happen. There's a lot of preparation put in by many. The opening up of the church. The music. The sound system. The setting up of the table. Crash. Bats. Children's work. Youth work. Tea. Coffee. It's all important. But the real preparation should be done in our hearts. How do we prepare to come to church? Do we prepare? I'm not asking about picking out the best clothes from the wardrobe or, or whatever. Come as you like. But do we spiritually prepare ourselves? I know time is pressing. I know things can happen and, and, and usually just as you're about to step out the door. But if we want to get the best out of church, then I would suggest we need to put our best in. And that begins with our preparation. Do we really grasp that as we gather here, we meet with God? And if so, how does that mark our preparation? Preparation. Secondly, we read of revelation. It is here at this meal, this Passover meal, that, that Jesus makes, as I, as I see it, three rather startling revelations. The first one we see in verses 17 to 21. The second is in verses 22 to 24. And the third is in verse 25. And as we get to this part, the, the, the preparation is all done. The meal is ready to begin. And we are told in verse 18 that they were all reclining at the table eating when Jesus reveals that one of them, one of those who had been with Jesus these past three years, one of those that were chosen as a disciple, one of those who had witnessed his miracles and, 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 and his teaching and, and everything else, one of them is going to betray him. One of them is going to let him down. And this revelation around this table cuts each one of them to the core. We, we read that, that they were saddened. And that one by one, they say to Jesus, surely not I. And in the original Greek, the question actually expects 
a negative answer. None of them thought it was them. A literal, a, a literal translation would be, it is not I, is it? And notice how lovingly Jesus deals with this. Because all he says is, he's one of the twelve. He, he, he never mentions Judas by name. But rather says, the one who dips bread into the bowl with me. And, and, and the character of Judas is one that both fascinates me and yet at the same time, if I'm honest, puzzles me. Here is somebody who was so close to Jesus. Here is someone in the most intimate of situations because, again, we need to remind ourselves of the context. That, that table fellowship, that eating together had great significance for the Jews. It, it, it was more than just a kind of social gathering. It, it was evidence of, of peace and of trust and forgiveness of, of, of brotherhood. To, to break bread, to have a meal with someone in, in that kind of Jewish context was, was, was to sit down to, to a meal with them. It, it was to enter into a pact of, of friendship and of mutual trust. And here is Judas, so near. Here is Judas giving out all the outward impressions. But all the time, scheming and planning to betray Jesus. And there are, I admit, and I'm not dodging any issues here, but there are, I admit, many questions regarding Judas. Yet for me here, the overriding challenge, and the point I want to make here this morning, friends, is the danger of giving an outward impression. The danger of being so near, yet actually so far. You see, we can all pretend to one another. Sometimes we can even pretend to ourselves. We cannot pretend to the Lord. He knows. And the danger is, even in gatherings like this, that someone can be meeting together and singing and praying and sharing Yet all the time the heart is far from Jesus. Judas gave all the outward impressions. None of the, none of the disciples expected it. None, they didn't know who it was. Judas gave all the outward impressions. But his heart was far from right. And Jesus reveals that. 
Is that someone here this morning? Giving out all the outward impressions. Singing, praying, sharing, eating. Yet deep down, where it really matters, things are not right between you and God. Learn from Judas. Second thing that Jesus reveals concerns his fast approaching death. And he does so by connecting the elements of the meal to his coming suffering and death. Jesus takes two very basic everyday items, bread and wine, and, and he takes them and, and he gives them a wonderful new meaning. He, he takes the bread, he gives thanks, he, he, he breaks it and he says, this is my body. In effect, what he is saying is that this bread that I have broken before you represents me. It isn't me, okay? There's nothing magical about it. It represents me. What if you have seen happening to this bread will very shortly happen to me. Just as the bread was broken, so my body will be broken. The bread was still just bread. But what it signified was Jesus' body broken. Then he takes a cup and he gives thanks. And as he drank from it, he said, this is my blood of the covenant that is poured out for many. And, and what Jesus, what, what was revealing here is that in his death, he would fulfill the old covenant. The old covenant that, that in the Old Testament that was ratified with the blood of animals and sacrifice, he now establishes a new covenant that is ratified by the shedding of his own blood. And we can read this. And we can hear it. And we can participate in it. But the danger is we become, as one writer says, so conditioned that we hardly blink an eye over this statement. This is my body which was broken for you. <coughs> this is my blood which was shed for you. His body broken, his blood poured out. In the Old Testament, it was the blood that sealed a covenant. And what Jesus is doing here is making a new covenant. What he does here marks a new act of redemption. What he does here is brings in a new relationship between God and humanity. One that supersedes the old. And I know that we know it so well. But it does us no harm whatsoever to be reminded of the great truth that God so loved you that Jesus Christ's body was broken 
and his blood was outpoured for you and for me. And that by trusting in him, we can know forgiveness and peace and the assurance of an eternity in heaven with Christ. As Isaiah reminds us in that great prophecy, Isaiah 53, he poured his life unto death. All seems a bit gloomy. Yet amidst this great revelation, we also see another one. But because he tells them that he will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus is facing up to his death. And yet we see here even just a glimpse that death was not the end. Death was never going to be the end for Jesus because he would conquer death and the grave and he would rise again and he would ascend on high and he says to the disciples, one day when all of this life as we know it is over, one day he'll drink it anew again. But not until that day. You see, when we gather around this Lord's table, as, as we'll do shortly, we not only look back to some kind of memorial of the past, it reminds us of what Jesus did for us. And it makes his death and his presence a living reality. We gather around this table and we remember Jesus' death. We do not remember a dead Jesus. Preparation. Revelation. Finally, we read of participation. Preparation, table set, thank you Margaret, every week, every week it's faithfully set for us. Revelation, Jesus has given us the meaning of this, but, but what of participation? Who's it for? Well, it is for those who have recognized their need of forgiveness. It is for those who have repented and trusted in the finished work of Christ upon the cross. And as we participate of it, as we partake in it, it does, as one writer says, binds the past, the present, and the future. Because we look back to his death. We rejoice, and I hope you do, in sins forgiven in the present. <coughs> and we look forward to that day when we will drink it anew with Jesus, when we will be with him forever and forever, when this table with all of its significance and all of its meaning will be made redundant, when it will give way, brothers and sisters, 
to reality when face to face we shall be with Jesus and we shall drink it anew with him. It's important, I want to stress this, it's important that, that, that we don't see this as some kind of magical ritual. This table, this eating of bread, this drinking of the cup, in and of itself does not save us. We respond, we participate because we have been forgiven, not in order that we might be forgiven. That is why Paul gives clear guidelines in 1 Corinthians 11. He tells us to examine ourselves. And a great comfort there is he doesn't say examine yourselves and then get up and leave. He says examine yourself and then eat. He tells us not to take it in an unworthy manner. That's why I often say that if, if you've never turned to Christ, then just let the bread and the cup pass you by. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. But take time to consider that Jesus did this for you. You see, we're only worthy to participate of the Lord's Supper when we recognize how unworthy we are, if that makes sense. We are to remember Jesus. And often when the Bible speaks of remembering it carries, as, as one theologian says, the idea of a present participation in a past event. What a wonderful way to remember Jesus. A present participation in a past event. And as we move in to Holy Week, Let's take time to remember Jesus. And afresh, or maybe for the first time, marvel at his great love for us, shown to its fullest extent upon the cross. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. What is your response? How do you react to such love that the Father has lavished upon us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We realize that sometimes when we look at passages that are so familiar we wonder what we can learn from them and yet we thank you for that old old story of Jesus and his love thank you that you willingly went to the cross you paid the price for our sins 
that those who trust in you might know forgiveness and redemption and peace with God. May that be the reality for each person bowed in your presence now. Hear our prayer and bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.